0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 57 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, February 25th, 2016. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and with me is the inimitable, the one and only Neil Hughes. (laughs) How's it going? Much better, thank you, Neil. How are you? I'm all right. I'm making it. Good. You had a good couple episodes there with Neil, with uh you and Mikey this past time. It was awesome. I'm I'm glad to be back. Um I wanted to start off with just an offer for our American listeners. There are two days left where you can get $170 to $320 off of Apple's hottest MacBook Pros and fifty to eighty dollars off of all iPad pros. Apple Insider readers can grab the lowest prices of the year on the 13-inch, the 15-inch MacBook Pros, and $50 off all 32-gig iPad Pros and $80 off all 128-gig iPad Pros with free shipping and no tax in 49 states. Now, Neil, you're you're using an iPad Pro this time, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I'm actually recording this podcast uh, from my iPad Pro. Uh, we've tried to do this in the past with uh, some of the microphones that we had that were lightning-enabled. Uh, But uh, the problem with lightning-enabled microphones is they don't – iOS, by default, for communications apps like the Apple's own phone app or um, uh, Skype, for example, which we're using right now, or really anything else, uh, even if you plug in a lightning microphone, does not default to that. It will default to the built-in microphone or headphone microphones over the lightning one. Uh, It's a weird API issue uh, within iOS that makes recording kind of difficult. So. Um, In order to be able to do this and get a more flexible setup, um, I just got a a, a microphone from Master and Dynamic to go with my headphones that I really enjoy. Um, And I have an optional uh, uh, kind of like uh, call center mic, isn't it? Yeah, a little little boom mic, a little call center kind of mic um, that you can plug into the headphones and – Uh, it's, I think, $130 accessory. And so by plugging into the 3.5 millimeter jack onto the iPad Pro, I can now use my iPad to do the podcast as well.
1: So you're using Skype for the call audio and Mm -hmm. then at the same time running GarageBand and recording the call through that.
0: Correct. Apple's GarageBand is recording the local. um, Then I'm communicating with you over Skype. And then I also, because of iOS multitasking, can use Google Docs to look at our agenda, Safari to pull up websites, that kind of stuff. And I have it connected to an Apple Smart Keyboard as well. Uh, in the event that I need to type or uh, pull up something quickly, then I have that there. Um, and you know, I wrote about the Smart Keyboard a couple weeks ago, comparing it to the Logitech Keyboard. And I very much prefer Apple's Smart Keyboard. Uh, it's not perfect, and I wish that it had a, a top row of uh, shortcut buttons, including a, a dedicated home button on the keyboard. How did they skip that? yeah it's just to make it thinner and and uh, uh, smaller. they just didn't put that row. It's just not there. And so
1: every iPad keyboard I can think of has that top row of of shortcut buttons.
0: Yeah, the the problem with all these accessories right now is they're just a bunch of trade-offs. The Logitech one has the full row and it's backlit, but it's way too big. I mean, the thing, you know, it's like a a protective case on the back of the iPad Pro, which I don't really want. I want something that I can snap on there and use, and then when I don't want it, I can just snap it off and throw it in a drawer or something like that. Um, And this... Apple Keyboard uh, accomplishes a lot of that. My biggest concern with it before I started with it was uh, that it wouldn't be steady for like lap use or kind of you know
1: moving around. And sort of the actu- Surface Pro with the kickstand problem.
0: Right. And actually, Apple addressed it. The, the, the base is pretty sturdy. The weight is evenly distributed. I can use it on my lap on the couch. It's not as good as a laptop, but it's not a laptop. So that's just kind of what you're dealing with. But I definitely prefer this one. I, I'm still excited to see... Um, uh, more uh, options out there, and different options, and and uh, uh, how people are going to approach this, uh, and and how they ma- manage those pros and cons when it comes to portability versus capability, uh, and what consumers want in terms of do they always want a keyboard connected? Do they only occasionally want one connected? For me, I, I want to use a keyboard with my iPad maybe 15, 25% of the time, but most of the time I'm not going to be using a keyboard with it. So I want something that I can quickly ditch.
1: Well, let me ask you, I mean, because I, I keep going back to this thing we've talked about for ages now, you know, using the iPad as the only computing device. Does this work for you when you do that?
0: No. Um, I... I simply I, I've done it, worked for a day on the iPad and I've even done it with the Microsoft Surface and it's getting better, but it's still a frustrating experience just because of a whole number of things. Really, um, iOS is not taking full advantage of the capabilities of the iPad Pro. Um, this is why you don't see you know, Final Cut for iPad Pro yet. That's not to say we can't get there, and I think that we will get there, but as it is right now, the multitasking has uh, a fair amount of problems. Like for example, the slide over slash um, split view on an iPad Pro or even an iPad Air 2. If you want to pull up apps, you have to slide over from the right side, then pull down from the top of the screen. And then it just kind of shows you apps that yeah, you they're not recently the, used.
1: They're not even the ones that you'd want to be there. They're just whatever was last.
0: Right. And so, you know, if you have a few hundred apps installed, you might have to scroll for a while to get something. And then not all apps are compatible. And, and you know, there really needs to be some sort of like. Dock that's customizable that you can pull over from the side that are your most quickly used apps, a, a search function to bring them up, something like that. You know, there's workarounds, you can go back to the home screen, use Searchlight or Spotlight, uh, pull up the app you want, then when you do the slide over, it'll be recently accessed, blah, blah, blah. But it's just too many steps involved for something that should really be a lot simpler. So could I use it as my primary work device? No, I would like to. But I think where the iPad is right now is it's become my, I'm not working, I don't want to be distracted device. If I go to my laptop, I got my work email there. I've got my messaging clients there. I've got everything. If I just want to focus on doing one thing, you know, read or uh, uh, browse the internet and just kind of do something personal, uh, the iPad is my preferred device for that. I don't want to go to my laptop. It's it's like my couch computer is basically
1: the way I look at it. How, How many apps do you have installed on that thing?
0: I have a lot, but you know I don't use a lot of native apps on my iPad. I find that I'm mostly in Safari. Um, I use Spark for email, which uh, just came out with their – I've been beta testing it, but they just came out officially with their iPad client today, which is great, and it's optimized for iPad Pro. Occasionally, I'll use it as like a second um, screen for when I'm watching TV, and like if there's a sports game on, I want to keep an eye on, and I can stream it on my iPad, I'll do that and have it uh, just kind of around – um, I like checking out the calendar on it. Uh, I read uh, the the uh, uh, na- the apps for New York Times and Wall Street Journal. I like both of those. Uh, sometimes I'll do iMovie on it just for quick edits. Uh, sometimes I'll do music, but I would say seventy five percent of my time on my iPad I'm just kind of in Safari and just using it to browse the web or something
1: yeah i uh, I read a study. This past week, that said that out of the hundreds of apps that we have installed on the phone, for example, that there are maybe twenty that you use frequently and five that you use daily. I that, that it's it's really like that. And I, I looked at that and I realized I've got thousands and thousands of apps installed on the phone mm-hmm. because I'm ridiculous. <laughs> but um, but I, I looked at the iPad Mini that I've got and I've only got like maybe twenty apps installed on the thing total.
0: I have 176. I'm looking right now installed on my iPad Pro. Wow. Uh, but most of them are in folders. I, I just my home screen is just a bunch of folders because I don't access them as much as I do on my iPhone. My iPhone, I'm it just because it, it, it's uh, you know you don't want to pull up a website and load it and all on your iPhone. It's limited screen real estate. But when you're on an iPad, pulling up Safari doesn't seem that bad. Going to a website doesn't seem that bad. And a lot of times these apps aren't optimized for the iPad or they have certain features that are missing in their apps. And sometimes it's just easier to go to Safari.
1: Yeah. I, I need to correct myself. I went through a big purge and, and removed a lot of apps from my phone. I'm down to 637. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: I'm pulling it up right now. My phone, I have 268 apps on it.
1: See, I need to get to that.
0: But I also have uh, over 10,000 photos, 350 videos, 1,700 songs. Good. So I'm using – I I only have 18 gigs free on a 128-gig phone, so –
1: i have 25 gig free i have 3,000 photos but i mean really the
0: ipad pro should have a 256 gig model right
1: well and that was one of the things that i saw earlier this week we wrote about uh, samsung introducing a 256 gig chip yep so we think it's gonna happen
0: fingers crossed for a 256 gig iphone i would be so happy
1: i you know i i pulled out the original iphone yeah and um the original 8 gig, which was the big one way back.
0: I had the 4 gig.
1: And uh, and I, I powered it up and everything. It's on iOS 3, and I was going to figure out how to put it back on iOS 1. And uh, you know, I messaged you about this, and you said, yeah, and there's no way I'm going back to a 64 gig phone ever. We were talking about the 4-inch uh, the phone. Right. And now you want the 256 gig.
0: Oh, yeah. I want the biggest phone that you can have. Until iTunes Match came around, I was still toting around my uh, iPod Classic. Just so I could have all of my music on me, uh, because I don't—I never know what I, what I want to listen to. I, you know, I have something like uh, twenty-six thousand songs or something in my collection. And I never know what's going to catch me that I want to listen to. Limiting yourself like that just seems unnecessary to me. So wow. until iTunes Match came around and I could put all my music in the cloud and 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 uh, have it all accessible, I was always carrying my iPod Classic with me. So yeah, if I could get a two hundred fifty-six gig phone, I could. Pretty much just download all of my music and have it on there. So, you know, I live in New York, and when I get on the train, there's no reception there. And so you can only stream them or you can only play the music that you've downloaded to your phone. So that would be nice.
1: Yeah. I used to use an 80 gig iPod, and I had that thing full, and I, I had it in the car. I used it all the time. And once iTunes started getting worse and worse to use, I just stopped putting music on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I've really gone away from listening to music that isn't somewhere in the cloud. You know, I really, I'll, I'll use Spotify, I'll use Pandora, I'll use any one of the uh, iHeartRadio. I, I, I don't care about storing music locally any longer.
0: I, I do to an extent. I mean, if I'm going to be flying and you know I'm not going to have reception or something, then yeah. But you're right. I mean, uh, as each year passes, I need to have it saved locally less and less and less. Now, one thing that I could have in the cloud that I don't are my photos. So iOS is a feature. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you may already have it on and not realize it. Um, you can go into the settings app on your phone and then choose photos and you can make it so that your phone only saves low quality versions of your pictures and keeps the high quality ones in the cloud. And then so when you pull up a photo, it will then download it from iCloud and say this way it saves some space on your phone. But I have so many photos and I love Apple's photos app and the ability to quickly go back and find old photos. And I use that a lot. So much so that I want all of my photos and all my videos in full resolution on my phone. I don't have to. Because a lot of times, like I've used it, I use it on my iPad to save space. But on my iPhone, like I'll tap on something and then, you know, it. Uh, takes like a few seconds to download. There's the cloud like a delay. Cloud grinds
1: away, and then you get the full resolution coming in. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. So I would rather just pay for the high capacity and just have all the photos that I take saved on my phone. And then I use an app called uh, Flick F L I C. I'm sure that there's other ones that do this as well. But it's kind of like a, a Tinder for your uh, photo library. So once a month, it sends me an alert and it says, "Hey, time to go back through January's photos
1: and see which ones you want to save and which ones you don't." And then you swipe, you swipe left left or right to approve keeping or, or dispensing yeah. with the photo.
0: And then it'll bulk delete your photos at the end of the month. And then every month, I free up like 500 megs because I'll do a thing because you know your iPhone photos always turn out so blurry and stuff. Yeah, I'll do burst photos. I'll take a ton of photos and then go back and then pick the right one and then crop and edit and then use that photo. Uh, so I'll always end up with a ton of photos. And in the moment, like if you're in a concert or a sporting event or something, you don't want to go through and delete all these photos you just took. So it's one, it's a nice reminder at the end of the month to go back and kind of clean that stuff up. But on my iPad, I do have the, uh, the cloud feature turned on because I'm not looking at my photos on my iPad that much. So I don't really care.
1: Now you've got the pencil. Are you using the pencil?
0: <laughs> not anymore.
1: Right. you you put the betas on that thing, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I'm running, uh, 9.3 beta 4,
1: and the pencil is still broken. We wrote about this you, last month. You and Mikey month. wrote about this last month. Yeah. M- Mikey thinks it's a big conspiracy, and, and maybe it was, but uh, the, the word is we're getting it back, right? We're getting the functionality of pencil as a navigation tool.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, there, there's something to be said. Uh, I mean, when you have a screen this big and this gorgeous, it's really nice. But when you're interacting with your content, your greasy fingers just leave as much as on the screen, and it's not easy to just wipe it off. Well, and, stop eating
1: barbecue ribs while right. you're doing your <laughs> iPad, man. I know.
0: <laughs> it was like the uh, – what was the gimmick that Samsung had that one year on one of the Galaxy phones where you, you could hover over it but not touch? It's like when is this feature appealing? Like when, when At you're – McDonald's. You're eating hot wings, and that's the <laughs> only time you're going to use this? Like. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so having the pencil as a navigation tool is pretty nice. You know, I, I got the pencil just to review it. I, I'm not a drawer; I don't draw at all. I've used it a few times to fill out documents, like signing PDFs. And, you you play hangman on the iPad, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, it works for that kind of stuff. But it's nice to have it as a navigation tool, um, and for some pre- precision stuff too, like when you're in iMovie, just to not have your fingertip in the way and stuff. It, it's a nice option. Uh, the first four betas of iOS 9.3 do not allow you to use it as a navigation tool even though you can in iOS 9.2.1. So people started to think that this meant, this meant that uh, Apple was changing the way that the Apple Pencil worked and you were no longer to be able to use it as a navigation tool. Uh, Apple came out and made a comment this week and said, "No, we're actually just refining how it works, but it's going to be back in the next beta."
1: So yeah, well, thumbs up. B- to missing Apple. in one beta, you know, it's a conscious—it's—it's it's an accident, whatever, right? Missing in four betas, it's a conscious choice, right? And putting it back after there was a kerfuffle about
0: it—maybe they claim that they were toying around. Who knows? Apple doesn't want it to be viewed as a stylus. That's what it is. They want it to be a drawing tool, a precision editing tool. They don't want it to be – you know, they want it to be used for writing. They don't want it to be used for navigating. But at the end of the day, what do they care? If you spend $100 on it and you don't want to use it as a navigation tool, don't use it as a nav- navigation tool. But having it replace your finger I don't think is inherently bad. Then again, I'm the guy that thinks that they should allow cursor support for trackpads and mice on iOS. So what do I know?
1: Yeah, and a lot of people want that, but uh... – I, I think as long the most as it sense doesn't it makes right is is if you're holding the pencil because you're drawing, you don't yeah. want to have to put it down and use your finger to navigate. You you should be able to keep going and not interrupt yourself. Right? right?
0: Yeah. No. I, I, I as long as it doesn't ruin the the core experience, I think you're fine.
1: You know, when it comes to a, a, a trackpad for a touchscreen device, I mean, that's kind of a little bit funky. But, you know, if if it keeps your hands in the same place as your keyboard, it maybe makes more sense. You're more productive when you aren't having to move your hands all over the place, like reaching up and tapping on the screen.
0: Uh, I'm going to stop you there, Victor. I just went back to check GarageBand, and of course, it's not recording. So. Oh,
1: I, well, I've been recording both of us on this side.
0: That's fine. So I'll start recording now if it's of any use to you, and we'll see if it works, but. Clearly, iOS multitasking failed. We get it across up front, though, that we're using an iPad, so people can excuse the quality, please. (sighs) Yeah, it's recording again, but eh, whatever.
1: Who knows? It is what it is. Right now, I'm on an iPad mini, and I'm not even on the iPad mini 3. I'm on on the iPad mini 2. Mm -hmm. Clearly, at some point, this is, is a device that I should probably consider replacing. What What's coming that I should care about?
0: Well, if you want a bigger screen, um, Apple is supposed to hold an event March 15th to announce iPad Air 3, which all the leaks and information that we've received thus far would suggest that it's basically going to be a smaller iPad Pro. Uh, same features like the uh, smart connector. So presumably there will be a smart keyboard for the 9.7 inch size, uh, the four speaker array, um, not really clear how much RAM and what processor it's going to run. Don't know if they'll go the the full uh, four gigs slash A9X that the Pro has. Would it have they pencil may-
1: support? Do you think?
0: I would have to think it's going to have pencil support. Yeah, that would just. It would be stupid of them not to do it, especially if it's going to have the Smart Connector. I mean, just bring it all over, you know, right. and then make it a make it do like they do with the 13 and 15 inch MacBook Pro. If you want more horsepower, bigger screen, go with the 15 inch. You want a little bit more portability, maybe don't get the same processing power. You go with the smaller model. So, got to think that the Air is going to get everything from the Pro. Maybe an A nine chip instead of an A nine X. Uh, maybe three gigs of RAM instead of four, I don't know, you know, Right, so like that. it
1: becomes sort of a differentiation between you've got a, let's say, the 6S Plus. Yeah. And then the iPad Air 3, which is is something somewhere between the capabilities of the 6S Plus and the iPad Pro. Right. Is that the right way of thinking of it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, Apple doesn't want to get into this, like, specs game, so they don't even say – how much RAM the processor has? We have to tear them apart to find out. Well, so
1: yeah, but it comes down to mattering when we're doing things like running that big screen with a bunch of Safari tabs open or applications that call on it, right? Well, and there's
0: rumors that this is this is going to be expanded even more this year. That the the lines uh, between the iPhone. Uh, the 4.7-inch iPhone and the 5.5-inch model are going to be even more distinct with the iPhone 7. So the rumor is that maybe the dual-camera system will only be on the iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, Maybe the iPhone 7 Plus will have 3 gigs of RAM while the iPhone 7 will stay at 2 gigs of RAM. So you're going to see Apple maybe start to justify that $100 premium uh, more with the larger model.
1: That's cool. Yeah. You know, this looks to be the year that I buy a bunch of stuff and I'm trying to think about what are the right things to get.
0: Yeah. Are you interested in the four inch iPhone, Victor?
1: No, I'm, I'm actually thinking about going to the, uh, the plus sized model. Really? I, I am. Um, I have a friend who has been talking with me about getting the four inch phone for his son mm-hmm. and he, he picked up a 5C just to see what it felt like again. Mm-hmm. And his his words were he texted me moments ago and he says so small how did we ever survive <laughs> and you know i i had the similar experience like i said earlier i picked up the original iphone which was mm-hmm. the the not even four inch right it was smaller and i powered it up and and yes it's dwarfed right um so i think maybe the 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 plus size model is the right one for me now
0: yeah um i'm I'm excited about the four inch phone but it's out for me if there's no hundred and twenty eight gig model it's just not it's a no, it's a non-starter
1: sixty four gig will not do it for you
0: no not gonna happen
1: too constrained
0: yep uh, if they do a hundred and twenty eight gig model and basically the only thing that it's sacrificing is uh the cam or I'm sorry the uh, 3d touch screen mm-hmm. I'm fine with that I don't care i'll I'll gladly sacrifice three give it a little
1: bit less ram you're not gonna mind
0: no, I, that's one gig okay. RAM. One the gig only RAM. thing, on. the only thing I will, I will concede from the iPhone six is three D touch. The everything else, if I get two gigs of RAM, A nine processor, one hundred twenty eight gigs of storage, I'm in. I'm buying it. I'll spend six hundred fifty dollars on that phone. There you go. I <laughs> <laughs> sounds. Like I've actually, <laughs> I, I, I've because I, I know that just because of what I do. Uh, I'm gonna have to get an iPhone Seven later this year. Uh, oh, such a
1: horrible thing that I have to get an iPhone Seven, right? Well, but <laughs> you know, you, it's it's not like you're not paid to get that,
0: right? No, I. Uh, but I'm saying,
1: you know, um, when, when I go and buy one of those things, I know exactly who's paying for it. It's coming out of my pocket, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't buy one of every model like uh, like Mikey does.
0: I'm gonna have to review both of them,
1: and so I was wondering to
0: myself because you can set it up that when you download stuff it automatically downloads on your other devices and you can have it so everything syncs in theory um i wonder how easy it would be for me to just swap phones as needed like let's say i was doing something like want to take advantage of the better camera in the 7 um whatever yeah pop my sim card into that and then maybe this this is why we need like an e sim why can't i just have multiple devices and just pick pick up which one i want because carriers yeah well <laughs> it's, well and we've talked about this before like uh you and i victor the the apple watch and the possibility of a 3g or lte radio in there um i mean they're not gonna have a traditional sim card in the watch because it would take well, up too much space. physical size yeah right and you know that's a waterproofing issue and all kinds of other stuff they're not gonna have it so you can insert something into the apple watch so e-sim is a thing that's coming out in fact samsung just announced a watch that has eSIM in it
1: that's on what the gear s2 something like that
0: yeah, something like that. Yeah, and so carriers now have this thing where they charge you like five dollars a month or something to add that device to your data plan.
1: I'm trying, trying to think of. This. I remember when it was just twenty, right? It used to be twenty to add an iPad to your data plan or something like that.
0: It was fifteen, I think. Yeah, I think carriers. I think what they do is well, I think they still charge that. Uh, it depends on the size of the device. So a phone is like you know twenty five dollars or whatever it is. Uh, your your iPad will be like ten dollars, fifteen dollars, and then these smaller connected devices. I like think they charge five bucks per device, and they all share in the data plan. Right, because now, they and, know that
1: your watch is not going to be drawing incredible amounts of data.
0: And if I'm but if I'm only using uh, one phone number and sharing it between devices, why couldn't I have an eSIM shared between two phones and they both ring?
1: Who cares? Tough question. I, I think that the carriers are still old-world enough that they would want to give each thing an individual line. and Probably. You know, that it would be a pain to activate or deactivate to move it over. So how much of a pain would it be to switch between
0: devices with eSIM then? Because Apple, with uh, watchOS 2.2 and iOS 9.3, is adding support for multiple Apple Watches so you can switch between them I- immediately. So imagine in the not so distant future, we have some LTE capable Apple watches and somebody owns two Apple watches, one for the gym and one for a night out. And that way they can, you know, one can charge while they're at the gym and then they come back and swap them out. I mean, I could see a scenario where somebody would want to do that. How how difficult does it then become to have the carriers play nice with that kind of stuff if you wanted to pay for both of them to be connected?
1: I think carrier adoption would be one of those things that we've seen with other carrier adoption problems, right? You know, v- voice over LTE or the original visual voicemail. You know, AT&T did it first and then T-Mobile follows or T-Mobile did vo- voice over LTE first and then AT&T drags their heels and is last. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are launch partners and those launch partners get on board first. And, you know, in in the U.S., it's one thing where if you're saying – they're going to carry the Apple Watch. Then they'll be the ones that are launch partners and on board for it. But if they're not carrying the watch with the eSIM in it, then they can drag their heels and be a little slower about it.
0: But this, a lot of this goes back to what I've been talking about with this concept of your computer and your data is anywhere. You sit down at a computer you know, maybe 10 years down the road, touch ID or you know, retinal scan or whatever the heck it is at that point you sit down at a terminal essentially and then all of your files are instantly loaded from the cloud. Why can't we
1: Well, and and that's something that we were aiming at years ago, right? You remember network booting on yeah. on Mac.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? That was if if you go back and look at one of the original 1997 1998 Steve Jobs speeches where he's talking to the crowd at a developer conference and he was talking about what eventually became Time Machine because he never lost his data, never lost his data anywhere and he was also talking about network computing because he could just grab any computer and boot off of the network right. way, way back then. And those are the kinds of things we're finally seeing become useful, right? Ubiquitous.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's going to be nice when we're finally there. And it, it, the, the screen does not matter. You choose the size and the accessories that are right for you at that given moment. Whether you're on your phone, whether you're on a tablet, whether you're on a Mac, you can access your data and it's secure and you can trust it.
1: Yeah, and and we're not there yet, but – Every year and every release cycle, we see more and more of these things converging, don't we?
0: Yeah, and so I think it would be nice to be able to have multiple iPhones and just decide which one you you know if, if the one if you had a Plus, for example, and you were going to go out and shoot some video and you wanted to use the better camera in it and that kind of stuff, then then that would be an option for you. And I mean, the, everybody wins there, right? And, the and for those nights
1: when you're going out on the town and you have you know slacks that have almost no pockets, you carry the four inch right. phone.
0: Yeah, you're not wearing your jenkos or your uh, cargo pants for your iPhone 7 Plus. Then, you know, you bring your smaller phone.
1: But along the way, right, These the capabilities of these different things are converging. You know, one of the, the things you were telling me about before we started the call was the idea of Siri on Mac.
0: Yeah, so the, there's a rumor this week that um, finally Apple is going to bring uh, Siri to the Mac. Uh, Siri was only on iOS devices until last year. Um It took a while even for it to come to the iPad. It was just dictation at first, and then finally Siri. Then last year it was on Apple Watch, although that has to be connected to your phone. And then now it's on the Apple TV, and you can use that to search for content and stuff. But um, the rumor is that Apple is going to add a Siri button to the menu bar on the Mac, and you can click on it and then do something. (laughs) Uh, You know, Presumably similar functionality to what is on your iPhone, but it's not quite clear how that's going to work because – for example, you can't use Siri on your Apple TV to control HomeKit devices. So, uh,
1: Yeah, Siri on the Apple TV is a very specific use case, a very specific right. context. It's about searching content, and that's it. Yeah. Which is so, weird, since the Apple TV, like you point out, is the bridge for HomeKit.
0: And the thing with Siri, too, is I use a lot of my Apple Watch because I have uh, hue bulbs in my house, and uh, uh, I use it to turn them on and off a lot. And it works great, but it's slow and I think that's mostly because of the watch. The watch takes four or five seconds to figure out what I was saying because it's offloading the processing to the iPhone, which is then offloading the data to the cloud, which then has to get sent back to the phone, which then gets back set, sent back to the watch. And I was thinking about it today, and I was thinking, you know, they bring Siri to the Mac, and supposedly if your Mac is plugged into the wall, it's going to have always-on, hey, Siri capabilities. How cool would it be to kind of uh, get like an old Mac Mini or something And have it be like a headless unit, just always on and listening for Hey Siri with a mic plugged in and its own speakers. And if it worked with, for example, HomeKit, you could then have, you know, the equivalent of Amazon Alexa um, and roll it yourself.
1: Intriguing. Now, I I just installed a HomeKit door lock um, yesterday, actually. I put the the Schlage deadbolt that's HomeKit capable on it, and uh, I've been using Siri to lock and unlock the door ever since. It kills me that you mentioned Mac minis because I've got two of them here that I've been working with for the past two days trying to recover a hard disk error. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of, of rolling your own Amazon Alexa is not bad. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the Amazon Echo and the, the thing that I've been thinking about is that it's, it's currently kind of impractical to have more than one because mm-hmm. they're 180 bucks and uh, they don't really do anything other than act as that interface to the cloud. Whether it's, right. it's pulling music from Spotify or, or from Amazon music or, or interacting with your Hue bulbs. That's kind of all it does. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, is the speculation and what if of Amazon licensing out the Alexa interface and, and software to run on other people's third party devices. So, you know, your, your Philips Hue bridge. What if it ran Alexa and had a mic and speaker on it? What if, you know the the door lock, which already has a speaker in it, can also listen for things, and just all of the things around your house are able to listen.
0: I feel like in many ways the new Apple t v was a missed opportunity for Apple. I understand why they did what they did uh obviously, uh, especially this week where we're talking a lot about security. Um, Apple wants to be security conscious, and they don't want people to feel creeped out that their Apple TV is always listening to them. So building the mic into the controller, requiring you to pick it up and press a button so you know that it's listening.
1: It's very intentional.
0: Makes people feel comfortable with it. If they had built a mic into the box itself and made it an always-listening thing that could control HomeKit, it would make the Apple TV a much more compelling device as the center of your connected home. I realize why they didn't do it, but I think that there's a, a need for that in the Apple ecosystem. Uh, you know, And there's gotta be a way to do it to make people you know, opt in, make them feel more comfortable, know what they're getting into, that kind of thing. Maybe Siri on the Mac is the way to do that, but then it becomes, is HomeKit gonna be supported because it's not supported on the Apple TV? What is Siri on the Mac gonna do? We don't know at this point.
1: Yeah, we have no idea. I do like HomeKit though, and HomeKit, we should point out, is pretty secure. HomeKit has that, um, eight, eight digit, uh, number that's on every device, and there's a secure chip inside of each HomeKit device that Apple requires and, of course, takes a licensing fee for. And that protects your, your HomeKit devices and HomeKit network from being hijacked and being used in, in malicious ways by other people on the network, whether on your network or outside your network. And a lot of the other- HomeKit's
0: big failing really is Siri.
1: Uh, well, only in that Apple makes that the primary way of interacting with it, and you have to know to get other applications to, uh, to control it. Like you use the home application, I use the Insteon Plus app, or mm-hmm. the iDevices app, because those are aggregator apps that allow you to control all of the devices in one application. Um, and that's, that's something I really like is my ability to choose whose app I like for controlling all of these things, and, uh, and something that we're gonna write about on the site eventually. I keep threatening to do that.
0: So, if you ask Siri to turn on your lights or something, how long does it take for it to respond?
1: Um, I wanna say it's it's 3 to 4 seconds.
0: Okay, usually for me, especially if I'm using my watch, it's more like 10 seconds.
1: Yeah. I mean, we could, we could do it now and time it live on the show. But, uh, but yesterday I was screwing around when I was doing the door lock. I was also triggering the lights upstairs and turning them on and off. Mm-hmm. And I got a text message from my uh, – I got an iMessage from my daughter from her iPad saying, Daddy, why are you screwing with my lights? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, it's, it totally was responsive enough that I was able to turn them off and on and get her – yes. Why – let's see. Here's what she said. Why are you turning on the lights? <laughs> And uh, you know, when she did that, I turned them back out. But.
0: It seems like Siri is a little slower controlling HomeKit if you haven't unlocked your phone in a little while or engaged with HomeKit in a little while. And then if you've just done it a second ago, it responds a little more quickly the second time. So I wonder, too, if having a Mac plugged into the wall, more horsepower in it, presumably more uh, stable connection without uh, various power-saving methods that iOS does, if that might be a better way of doing siri
1: well we don't know if it's that or if it's a, a networking thing where right. it's going out and authenticating with your icloud id and making sure that this device is able to control these things yeah right it's it's it could be a security measure there as well and we just haven't checked because you know i haven't probed the network lately <laughs> um i wouldn't put it past them because they are very security minded right you know you don't want someone controlling your your deadbolt door lock you know it's it's not a huge risk if someone turns on your lights fine it's it's frustrating if someone adjusts your thermostat but if someone can open the door to your house that's major
0: or if the FBI can crack your phone
1: yeah so <laughs> so that was a big story last week it's a big story this week and it's it makes my head spin because every time anything new is published on this there's some new wrinkle about either side either either adding emotion to the argument or changing the facts or adding new facts it's it's just crazy so what's what's the news this time
0: well mikey and uh and dan talked about it last week and there have been new twists and turns that have come up since then probably the most interesting one the most interesting one that came up was late last week um apple kind of uh held a uh secret press conference over the phone, essentially, where unnamed Apple executives brought on members of the press and answered questions, but you weren't allowed to say that you were on the call, and you weren't allowed to say who was on the call. <laughs> it was very weird. But the reason they did this is because they're in the midst of a PR battle with the U.S. government, and the government was making it sound like Apple was not cooperating with them at all in terms of this investigation. So but, then apple but that's came. not
1: true, because Apple was complying all along, right?
0: Right. So what happened was, Apple was trying to help them back up the phone to iCloud because while Apple can't unlock your personal device by breaking your passcode entry, they can access data if it's stored on iCloud because that's stored on their local servers and they can decrypt that. So what Apple was trying to do was help the FBI to back up this iPhone 5C in question that was used by the San Bernardino terrorists – uh, so that they could then access a more recent da- uh, data backup, and then see what was on the phone. Uh, Apple, after a few weeks of going back and forth with the FBI, was then informed that the phone would not back up to iCloud even on a known Wi-Fi network because someone at the uh, county actually went on to—I guess they had access to the Apple ID password.
1: Right. They used they used "I forget" and reset the iCloud password.
0: And they went on and reset the iCloud password, but the original password is still stored on the locked phone. So now the phone, which cannot be unlocked, the password can't be updated on it. Therefore, it can't back up to iCloud because it doesn't have the proper credentials.
1: Right, but the the other wrinkle here is that the FBI asked the county right. to change the password. And it, and at first, the FBI said someone cha- – the county bungled this. They changed the password, and the county protested saying, no, wait a minute. We worked with you guys. You told us to change the password.
0: So, yeah, I mean, you can look at this two ways. You can either say that the FBI didn't really understand what it was doing and the implications of changing the password.
1: That's pretty charitable.
0: uh, Or the alternative, which uh, uh, Dan in his editorial that we published today, is that the FBI knew exactly what they were doing. And they did this so they could bring the issue to a head and try to force Apple to unlock the phone so that they could then have backdoor access to iOS devices in the future.
1: But but there's something even deeper here, right? Because my understanding is that if they get local access to the iPhone, they're not going to get anything different than what they get out of the iCloud backups, except perhaps something more current. Yes. That the
0: iCloud backups were most recently like in September, I think. Maybe oh, October. October. It was October. And the shooting took place in December. So they're wondering what may have been sent from that work phone in the last two months. Now
1: here's, here's this is a work wrinkle. phone though.
0: It's 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 not it's not their personal phones. So their personal and, phones
1: were destroyed. And had they managed it using MDM as they should have done, then none of this would have ever have been an issue. Right. But there's another wrinkle here, which is that so anything that they, they want to get off of the phone using iTunes or using local access to the phone is going to be the same as what it's capable of getting through the iCloud backup. However, they're going to be unable to get the, the caches for applications. The, the local application cache storage is something that can only be gotten through getting a full disk image. And that's something that they would also have to ask Apple to do. Yes, so I feel like just the way that the FBI has been approaching this, where they say one thing and then follow it up with another thing that contradicts the first thing they said. Well, and they've some, done that a lot.
0: Some apps do backup to iCloud Drive, and your messages are backed up through your iCloud backup. So, I mean, presumably they want to see the, the, the messages that were sent, especially if it was between iPhones or iDevices.
1: Right, but if they're looking for something like Telegram or Signal or one of those kinds of caches that are not yeah. backed up through iCloud –
0: well, that's designed to be secure for a reason.
1: All the more reason why they want to get at it.
0: Right. But they wouldn't be able to access that data without actually unlocking the phone, and Apple doesn't want to do that. And that's that's really what this comes down to. Is well,
1: Apple doesn't want to do that because it, it has broader implications for making everyone else's security and privacy worse.
0: Exactly. There are uh, – I mean, we go through legal documents on a regular basis for lawsuits filed against Apple, et cetera. Um, Within the last three weeks alone, we've received multiple lawsuits from uh, law enforcement and local municipalities looking to access data from an iPhone. I mean, these happen all the time. This is not new. This has been going on. New York has
1: 170 some devices they'd like to unlock.
0: Right. So, uh. You know, it, there was a story that came out this week, you know, that the FBI was looking to get into 12 other phones. It wasn't even that big of a story, even though it made the rounds, because well, it's been going it, on for
1: a while. It made the rounds because Director Comey of the FBI published an op ed on the Lawfare blog saying, this is about one phone and one phone only. And then 24 right. hours later, oh, well, maybe it's about 12 other phones also.
0: Maybe. Well, the, the 12 other phones, though, they didn't progress to this level with a Well, but the 12, judge. Other,
1: the 12 other phones are also making the case using the All Writs Act. It's the same argument. It just happens right. that they care about this one in this case, and by the way, there are twelve other separate cases with the same supporting argument. Right, and it's a little disingenuous.
0: Is, yeah, the uh, the DEA put out, I think it was like four or five years ago, uh, a, a uh, APB for all their employees uh, and investigators saying, you know, if if a drug pusher is messaging people with an iPhone, uh, and they're Messaging other people with iPhones, iMessages are encrypted end-to-end. We can't access those conversations. We cannot uh, uh, subpoena AT&T to get that data. There's no way that they can get it. This has been known for a while, and it's been been, uh, standing in the way of law enforcement for a while. The question becomes, as a country, do we want to sacrifice that level of security that is offered by these devices, and how do we ensure that we can maintain that level of security while also catching the bad guys?
1: Well, and I, you know, I I was reading a quote from Antonin Scalia, the uh, the recently passed away Supreme Court justice, who wrote a few years ago that um, the the Constitution does. Uh, well, I'm going to get the quote wrong, but the the idea of it was that the there, there's nothing new in the idea of constitutionality that that we we insulate some criminality so that everyone else can have greater privacy and security, right right? The, the idea that we must catch every single criminal and leave no stone unturned. People lose evidence all the time, right? In, in court cases and in criminal cases, people lose evidence, and we have laws that handle dealing with lost evidence. This is simply evidence that's just unobtainable, mm-hmm. and that should be understood and okay.
0: It is Apple's right to make their platform as secure as they see fit. And I think uh, a majority of Americans, at least as the polling shows, side with Apple and think that they're in the right. Personally, I, I side with Apple. I think they're in the right. I, it, they're a private business, and their interest is to their customers, and they it's not like they've been stymieing law enforcement. They've been working with them every step of the way. The one thing they refuse to do is create a backdoor to iOS to allow, you know, any phone to be unlocked. They're not going to do it. This would be an even uh, worse situation for the FBI if the phone in question were uh, iPhone 5S or newer because that has a secure enclave that makes it impossible for Apple to access that data. Even Apple itself could not access that data.
1: Yeah. So one of the interesting things that I'd heard about all of this is that besides the the security argument is that there's also a First Amendment argument here. And the idea is that computer code is an expression and can be considered speech and that just as we have the right to, to speak freely without government repercussions, that we also have the right to, to not be compelled to speak. Mm-hmm. And using the All Rights Ritz Act here is the FBI trying to compel Apple to create new speech that, it- that they shouldn't otherwise be made to be. Compelled it's to be.
0: an it, it's an interesting interpretation. I'm, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with it. However, it may not be in,
1: the strongest argument, but it's certainly one that I think they're putting forth.
0: Well, we also live in a country where the Supreme Court decided that uh, corporations should be treated as citizens as well. So, you know, that's not one that I necessarily agree with either. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, this is really a matter for uh, for the courts to decide and and for legislators and citizens to kind of hash this out
1: so so where is this going next right where what's what's the next thing that's going to happen here
0: what's really funny about this to me is this is like the one issue where democrats and republicans seem to agree where you know you have when you have donald trump and the obama administration on the same side of something it's a little weird um and then and then they're not really it seems like they're not representing their constituents either because the majority of people who have been polled are saying they're siding with apple so it's like the government is in their own island, and people are very different and have a very different viewpoint on this. You know, this is a post-9-11 issue where the pendulum swung one way. We had the Patriot Act. People were willing to sacrifice their civil liberties to protect the country. And now that we've had some distance from it and some time, uh, people don't necessarily feel the same way, and attitudes have changed, and people feel differently and you know this is just the way things evolve over time it, it attitudes change based on where we're at in the world and, and and what's happened to us and i think the pendulum has swung back the other way and now there's a pushback against the government saying we gave you uh, this access and what did you do with it you know uh, after uh, WikiLeaks and and edward snowden and all this stuff comes out and uh uh, everything that's happened in the years since—that's well,
1: uh, that's an interesting point because the uh, the former director of national intelligence, the uh, no Mike, Michael Hayden, former director of the NSA, had sided with Apple over this, right? And no one has asked the FBI. No one's asked Director Comey. Have they gone and asked the NSA for help with this? Maybe the NSA has a way around this. We don't know. But you know, instead they're busy fighting this ideological thing because they want the ability rather than. Uh, than just asking the NSA and see if they yeah get open
0: well you know and if the NSA has access then that I mean that's just the way this game works right that just like the bad guys are going to try to crack software the government's going to try to crack software everybody's going to be trying to to penetrate it and get in and 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 be able to extract information from people's iPhones that's fine that's the way this is going to work but it doesn't mean that Apple has to be complicit in it because all that it takes is the software ending up in the wrong hands or becoming too freely available, or just being misused in some way, and then there's a huge problem for everybody.
1: Right. Once something's created, keeping it secret, and keeping it from getting out, or keeping it from, from being distributed is almost impossible. And I certainly wouldn't trust the FBI to keep something secure. <laughs> Definitely not. No. <laughs> um, especially with their personnel leaks that they've had, and, and uh, their their lack of using encryption on their personnel files. You know, they could have prevented all of the uh, the hacks that they had if they just encrypted their own files
0: it's it's uh I, I think that m- most people are siding with Apple because it's just common sense in that case right. I, I just think I, I I just honestly think that that's really what this is. Do you trust the government that much?
1: Hmm. so we published an article about Bruce Sewell, who is the uh, the C- Apple senior vice president and company's general counsel. yeah, Mr. Sewell is going to Congress.
0: He is going to be testifying next Tuesday, um, and he will be a part of a panel that includes uh, a professor at Worcester Polytechnic Institute and a district attorney in Manhattan. Uh, And then there will be a separate panel that is just James Comey of the FBI. I don't know why they didn't want him to be a part of another panel, but it will just be him being questioned. Uh, You can stream that live uh, from the House Intelligence Committee's website uh, next week.
1: It's it's interesting that they're going to have Director Comey separate from having Sewell, because it it seems that that would have been a great opportunity to hear the two of them together.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm um uh, I'm expecting at some point Tim Cook is going to go back to Congress and testify in this as well too, because I don't see it. This discussion is not going to stop anytime soon. Tomorrow, uh, so when this po- podcast comes out on the twenty sixth uh could end up being a pretty big day for this case because that's when Apple has to respond to the court's order compelling them to release or to uh, crack and get access to this iPhone. So Apple will have to formally respond in court, but they've been all over TV and, like I said, with that secret press conference last week and all that stuff. They've really been taking a proactive approach on this stuff.
1: Well, tell me about the ABC interview because I, I saw some of the things from the ABC interview.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was pretty much the same uh, conversation. It's just Apple kind of getting its face out there and saying its side of the story because this is a complex issue. And it's really it's like when you're talking with people or even hearing politicians talk about net neutrality. Um, There's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of people not understanding. Like uh, when uh, a lot of Republicans last year were saying that uh, net neutrality was For bigger government and the government interfering with the internet. It's like you don't even understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And net neutrality is making sure that nobody can interfere with the government, or I'm sorry, with the internet, not businesses, not the government. It's just making it so that it's protected and kept the way that it is. And this issue as well, there's a lot of misinformation out there. People saying that Apple's not cooperating with law enforcement, people saying that uh, Apple is, you know, uh, aiding the terrorists, you know, or something crazy like that. And it's just not the case. It's, this is a much bigger issue than just this phone.
1: And all of it began with an iPhone 5C.
0: <laughs> Why did Apple ever make it?
1: Because pretty, pl- because it was the finest plastic they could come up with.
0: I like the iPhone 5C. I like the colors, and I would love to see the uh, colors on the iPod Touch come to the metal iPhone. I think that would be great.
1: Unapologetically plastic.
0: Keep it metal and have uh, a hot pink phone, have a blue phone. I would buy a blue phone. I'd love it.
1: You would buy the hot pink phone.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Champagne, uh, rose gold.
1: Yes. I can see you all about that. (laughs) Wow. What else should we talk about, man? Because that's, that's a big topic for me. I almost don't want to get off it, but I want to bore people to death with either.
0: Well, I, we should let people know since we said at the start of the podcast that I was recording this on my iPad that I am no longer recording it on my iPad. I am just on Skype on my iPad because GarageBand didn't properly run in the background because iOS is multitasking decided to shut down GarageBand for me. So when you asked earlier whether I use my iPad or could use my iPad as my primary computer, I cannot, and here is a great example why.
1: We're going to try this again. We're not giving up on this, but I'm going to recommend that you try the music memos app or that we try an app called Ferrite, which is meant for doing this kind of recording. Okay. And so we're going to, we're going to give this another go next week. Can't wait. Neil, our classic outro, where do people find you on the internet?
0: You can read my daily musings at Apple insider. And, uh, if you would like to follow me on Twitter as, uh, some of our listeners do and uh, pepper me with questions or comments. Uh, you feel free to do so at uh, this is Neil is my handle.
1: Brilliant. And I'm at VMarks on Twitter and I'm also vMarks on tapewrite.com. I occasionally publish things at Apple Insider and one of these days I swear i keep threatening I'm gonna do it.
0: What is tapewrite?
1: Tapewrite is a platform by a friend of mine named Borgia who helped us out with audio production a couple of episodes back. okay? And tapewrite is an interesting thing that he's made where you record audio and then you supplement the audio with pictures or, or footnotes that are basically like cards tied to specific points in the audio. And mm-hmm. people who listen can flip the card over and comment on it. And you can comment this a couple of ways. You can read all of the cards first if you don't have time to listen to the audio, or you can listen to the audio. And as something comes along, comment on the card there that accompanies it. It's it's as if someone took podcasting and medium.com and made an awesome stepchild. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it really is. And that's what we have for this week. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. Join us next week when we hear all about what happened when Bruce Sewell went to Congress.